Some days when I'm teaching from the Bible, I'm very aware that the main person who needs to be hearing the message, probably me, and um, today's one of those days. The reason being, sometimes I've got issues with authority, and some of you guys might be the same, where, you know, we just have this natural inclination to be just that little bit rebellious and and we sometimes have the attitude that, you know, I know better than the authorities and they don't know what they're talking about, therefore I'll do my own thing and and blow them. Um, So today I'm going to be preaching to myself and you guys are lucky enough to get to listen in to me musing to myself. So today we're learning about the ruling authorities of our lands, learning about their position and their authority, about their purpose and their function, and we're going to be talking about how we as Christians should be relating to them. What does it mean for us to be a citizen of the kingdom of God and at the same time be a citizen of the nation in which we live? So, governing authorities. Governments of the world come in all different sorts of shapes and forms, There are still a few true monarchies left in the world. Now, I'm not talking about a constitutional monarchy like England. A true monarchy, a real monarchy, is where a king or a queen is in a position of having some real power. I mean, like, they actually have absolute power. They have power over life and death. And there's not many true monarchies left in the world today. A few examples are places like Brunei, uh, Amman, Saudi Arabia, Swaziland, uh, the Vatican State. These places are true monarchies where the king, or in the case of the Vatican State, the Pope, has absolute power of that state. And what they say goes. Then there's constitutional monarchies, which we might be more familiar with. Places like England, Sweden, the Netherlands, Morocco, Australia, New Zealand, Canada... These sorts of places are what's known as a constitutional monarchy, where our head of state is a king or a queen, but essentially they don't have that much power. Um, For all intents and purposes, we are a democracy run by a government, by a parliament. Then there's republics, democratic republics, sorry, and then there's various forms of dictatorships. Now, because most of us have been brought up in, in a democracy, some of us can sometimes tend to get the mindset that a democracy is the only form of government that anybody in the world should have. It's the, and, and come up with the idea that democracy is the only way that we should govern and it's the only way that God would be happy. Right? Wrong. Um, in fact, I, I can't really find examples of, the democ- of a democracy in the Bible at all. Now, the point is, there is no governing authority on this earth that has not been put there by God. God gives our governments, in whatever shape or whatever form they take, the right to govern. He gives to them the authority to govern. And whether our governments are good or whether our governments are bad has really got nothing to do with it. What we have to do is accept that God has put them there and they are acting as God's servants. And this might be a little bit of a timely reminder for us as as we distantly observe the civil unrest that's taking place on the other side of the Pacific, 
where there's a few isolated pockets of people violently protesting against the the new president-elect of the United States. What these people have to realise is whether they like their new president-elect or not, he is the man who God has chosen to be their president for the next little while. And God is giving him that authority. When I was at at Bible college and studying the Reformation, I, I did a bit of an assignment on this. And I still remember what Martin Luther said about it. Martin Luther taught that the Christian must always honour his or her authorities, even if they were unjust rulers. Why? Because they hold their office at the decree of God. Right? It, it, it's not because they're particularly good people. It may not even be because they're particularly wise. It might not be because, it's not because they're particularly nice people or even that they're good rulers. The reason that we honour them is because God has put them there. And, and Luther went on to say that if we've got a bad government, it's probably because we deserve them. Now, that's a bit harsh, uh, not as harsh as the next thing that he said. He said, the world is too wicked and, and does not deserve to have many wise and upright princes. Frogs must have their storks. Now, storks eat frogs, and so it's a bit harsh. And if you're familiar with Aesop's fables, you know that he's actually referring to one of Aesop's fables. So, God has appointed the governing authorities. And the power that he gives to our governments, their authority is immense. They have power over life and death. They're the ones who decide whether our nation goes to war or not. They are the ones who decide what punishments criminals get. Now, you and I are not allowed to wield the power that the governments do because we haven't been entrusted with that power. But the governing authorities have. And you may feel that you might be able to do a far better job than what the government is doing, but that's a moot point because God hasn't given you that authority. He's given it to the government. The very first verse of chapter 13 says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And the word that he uses there for person is psyche. Uh, What it means is your soul your life. Let every soul, let every life, let your very life be, be subject to the authorities. Yield it to the authorities of those who have been appointed by God. So, God has appointed governments of all types and he's given them authority. But authority to do what? Well, what we find in this reading is a government's primary responsibility is to maintain law and order. And as they do this, they're doing it on behalf of God. The very word that gets translated as government, in the Greek it means to control or to restrain. And that's the primary role of the government, to control society and to restrain society. Unfortunately, as we become more and more self-centred, we seem to want something other than that from the government. Uh, And we, as a nation, have begun to place unreal and unsustainable expectations upon our governments. We expect our governments to 
supplement our incomes. We expect them to subsidise our various ventures. We expect them to provide the very best healthcare that the world has to offer and blow the cost. We expect them to give us all sorts of rebates and subsidies and grants and financial assistances. And we tend to just want more and more and more and more from our governments. And of course, we want to pay less and less tax and other people to do that for us. And every time we have another election or another budget coming out, there seems to be yet another bidding war for our vote, promising things to us that our country cannot afford and saddling our children and our grandchildren with a debt that they will probably never be able to repay, just so that we can have it just a little bit better ourselves right now. We don't care about what's going to happen later. That's not the government's responsibility. I've probably gone a bit off track there. Their primary role is to maintain law and order and they have authority to punish the wicked and to reward the good. Verse 2 says, Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, it doesn't say whether that judgment is going to be judgment from God or whether it's going to be judgment from the authorities. It's probably both. But certainly, if we resist the authorities, if we break the law and if we are found guilty, what do you expect is going to happen? We're going to get into trouble, aren't we? And that's the power that God has given them. Verse 3 says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. And if we are living according to the gospel, if we are doing the good which is required of us by the gospel, then our good conduct should be ensuring that we're not getting into too much trouble. You know, if you're living by the gospel, you shouldn't have the police knocking on your door in the middle of the night saying, right, we've got a warrant for your arrest, and we shouldn't be needing to affront the law courts too often. What this boils down to is the government's place of authority. We are to be under their authority. We are to submit to their authority. But, here's the but. This is the loophole you're all looking for. You ready for it? There will be rare times. Sorry, folks, it's rare times. Rare times when that doesn't mean that we obey them. For instance, if our government banned us from praying and if they banned us from preaching the gospel, it would be right to be disobedient. Why? Because even though God has given them authority, there is a higher authority. God himself is that authority and we must always be obedient to God first. And there's times when this has had to happen. In Nazi Germany, some Christians disobeyed the the Third Reich because it was right for them to do so. When King Darius decreed that nobody should pray to, to any god but himself, Daniel prayed to the Lord our God and he was thrown into the lion's den because of it. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego refused Nebuchadnezzar's order to bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar's statue and they're thrown into the fiery furnace. In Acts chapter 5, when Peter and John were ordered by the authorities to stop teaching in Jesus' name, they disobeyed. 
They said, we must obey God rather than men. And it was right for them to disobey under those circumstances. And occasionally, it will be right for us to disobey the government. But not very often. I want you to notice that it tells us to submit. It doesn't tell us to obey. And by submitting to their authority means that most of the time we'll obey, but not when God's higher authority gives us another direction. So I've been preaching to me, and I'll continue preaching to me, but how are you going so far? How do you go with authority? Um, anyone here got issues with authority? I'm confessing I've got issues with authority. You know, some of us, we don't want to recognise any authority other than our own. And there was a time in Israel, and we can read about it in the book of Judges, and it, tells, it has this exact two sentences twice in different places in Judges. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It says it twice, exactly the same phrase. And you know what? That's how a lot of people would like to live. You know, if only, we, we don't want to submit to any authority other than our own. If only I could just do what's right in my own eyes, everything would be fine and dandy. But you know what happened in Judges? If you don't, go and have a bit of a read of what it's like in Judges. And you'll get a picture of a society which is filled with violence, a society of anarchy, idolatry, immorality, genocide, abuse. You'd find that those who were willing to kill and take what they wanted were coming out on top and everybody else was dying. When everybody does what's right in their own eyes, society just becomes a shambles and God won't have it. And that is why God has appointed our leaders and why we are to submit to our leaders, even if we don't like them, even if we didn't vote for them, even if the laws that they pass are not laws that we like. You know, we very often have the opinion that our political leaders are there to serve us. We even call them public servants. They are not. They are not our servants. They are God's servants. And just like sometimes the good that God does for us is pretty tough on us at the time. Well, sometimes the very best acts that the government will do for us will also be pretty tough on us at the time. But it's for our own good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, we know that, that the day of wrath is coming and that the Lord is restraining his ultimate judge, judgment and the pouring out of his wrath until that day. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't punish people even today. If God was to completely remove his restraint on evil... What do you think would happen in this world? It would just descend into anarchy and violence in no time at all. 
And so it is right for our authorities to not only restrain, but to punish. It is right for our authorities to carry out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, this is a point at which I might get myself into a little bit of trouble. And please, I hope I don't offend anybody's sensibilities. I have made a commitment to always teach, not what's popular, but precisely what God has written in his word. And here we are told that the authorities do not bear the sword for no reason. God has given our governments the authority to bear the sword. And it's for a reason. What is that reason? To avenge. To carry out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. You know, it's a bit popular these days to say, oh, the God of wrath, he's the God of the Old Testament, and the God of love, he's the God of the New Testament. Well, it's actually both. God could not be a God of love without also being a God of wrath. A sword is used to defend, deter, detain, and execute. You don't wrap someone on the knuckles with a sword. You don't smack them on the bottom with a sword. You don't write out a fine with a sword and you don't rehabilitate with a sword. A sword is used to defend, deter, detain and execute. And as I said, I hope nobody gets offended by this. But I can't get away from the fact that in the Bible, God instituted the death penalty. And he never repealed it. And even though in our 21st century sensibilities we may find it abhorrent, justice can never truly be served without it. If somebody has murdered another, justice doesn't demand rehabilitation. Justice demands retribution. Now that's all I'm going to say on that. We live in a country that has abolished the death penalty and that's our government's right and we respect that and this is part of us honouring our authorities. But it does grate a little when, when we tell Indonesia that they shouldn't execute their criminals, particularly when they're Australians, because God has given Indonesia the duty to restrain evil and to punish evil in their society. They have the God-given responsibility to avenge and carry out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So, why is it okay for governments to kill? I mean, we're talking about defence as well. Like, over the last few weeks, it's been exciting in St George, having, having um, Duntroon conducting their military exercises in town, and we've, we've seen the armoured vehicles rumbling through town, and they don't so much rumble, they sort of they sound like a GM. Did you have a look? What are they? What do you reckon, Alex? Uh, they sound like a GM to me, and, and automatics, they sound like. There's no rumbling to be had. <laughs> anyway, and we've been treated to mach- machine gun fire at all the hours of the day and night. It's, it's sort of exciting at half past five in the morning. <laughs> Whoa, something's happening. Wow. Now, the thing is, these people have been practising and preparing for one thing. 
to defend against anything that would stand against an authority's right to govern. And in fact, that was their specific scenario. They had to pretend that St George was an overseas town, was a place that had fallen into anarchy and, and the authorities ha had lost the power to do what the authorities had to do. And their role as the army was to come in and regain authority. And so they were working closely with, with um, the police and, and, all, and the council and, and, and the ambulance and, and everybody to try and help them regain authority of this particularly disruptive town. Gee, you're a terrible lot. And they weren't practicing on the machine guns to make a bit of noise and scare. They were practicing to kill. Likewise, our police don't carry their guns to wound. When it gets to the stage that a gun gets drawn, they are trained to shoot for centre of mass. That is to either critically wound or kill. But doesn't the Bible say thou shalt not kill? Well, actually, no, it doesn't. A better translation is you shall not murder. An even better translation is you shall not wrongfully kill, which in our legal jargon would include murder in all of its degrees, and it also includes manslaughter. It is wrong for you or I to kill. It is even wrong for us to accidentally kill. That's what manslaughter is. I don't have the right to carry out vengeance. I don't have the right to kill. But our governments do. In fact, it is their duty to carry out God's vengeance. It's a duty that God, God has given to them for our good. Even in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was never about seeking personal judgment, uh, vengeance. You know, whenever you hear somebody quote, an eye for an eye and a tooth for the tooth, what's that about? I'm going to get them back and it's my right. No, that's not your right. That's not the way that was used. Even in the Old Testament, it was about laws to be used for making judgment and dishing out penalties in the community, not an individual. And it was actually, what it was doing was it was actually limiting retribution so that the punishment would fit the crime and that punishment wouldn't exceed the crime. So, for example, if somebody accidentally broke somebody else's leg, that did not give the injured party the right to go and beat the offender to death. You were limited Society was limited in dishing out punishment. You can't punish this person any more than breaking his leg. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was so that when the authorities carried out judgment, the judgment would fit the crime. Now, of course, to the Christian, Jesus taught us to never seek personal vengeance. Jesus said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evil man. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, what are we to do? Turn to him the other as well. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. 
If anyone forces you to go within one mile, you go two miles. See, what he's describing is we don't have to stand up for our rights and we shouldn't be seeking personal vengeance and we should never seek vengeance ourselves, but the government has been given the duty to carry out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. All right, so I hope I haven't upset too many people. I'm just telling you what God said in his word. And um, remember when Jesus came before Pilate and Jesus wouldn't speak to him much and, and Pilate said, don't you understand that I have the authority to either let you go or to crucify you? And what did Jesus say? Did Jesus say, oh, you can't do that? Or, oh, no, 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 that's the old way of doing things. We're now about peace and love. What did he say? He said, the authority that has been given to you has been given to you by God. Righto. Because the authorities are serving God, we must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Right? We shouldn't only obey the authorities because we're afraid that we're going to get into trouble if we don't. We do it because it's the right thing to do. We do it because we have the insight to recognise that this is all part of God's good ordering of society. Our submission is part of that good, well-pleasing and perfect will of God that we begin to recognise when he's renewing our mind. See, what's happening in our world, any good that's happening in our world, it's bigger than human. This is something that God's doing. And if you think it's not so good to have ruling authorities, you go and try and live in a place where law and order has just fallen into a shambles. You know, some of us, we, we, sorry, I've skipped a bit. Yeah, and it's also for this reason that we pay tax. Gee, there's some unpopular stuff today. <laughs> this is the sort of stuff we don't like hearing about. You know, usually when we're, we're planning a service and we sort of look for some songs that'll go with the topic. Do you know how many songs we found about paying tax with joy? Didn't find, how many did you find, Joy? Zero. How, how about, how many did you find, songs did you find about joyfully being booked by the policeman? Zero. Yeah. The, Sorry, folks, not popular today. Not popular today. But we pay taxes for the same reason. You know, some of us, we might do quite well for ourselves, but then we think our throats are cut if we have to pay a single cent in tax. Now, I want you to start looking at your tax in a bit of a different way. Did you know that when you pay your tax, you're supporting a ministry of God? Because you are. The human way is to structure everything that we do so that we can pay the very least amount of tax that we possibly can. And quite often, those who in real terms are actually earning quite a lot of money structure their affairs so that, they, that they're achieving more and more and more assets and building up their personal wealth but paying very little tax. Now, that's, that's the smart thing to do. But here's a lesson that most of us probably don't want to hear. It is right to pay our government taxes. 
Why? Because they are ministers of God. Something that I've always struggled with as, as a minister or a pastor or what I, whatever I am is exactly that. What, what am I? Um, and as much as I don't want to have any title in the church or have a position description or whatever, there's sort of a bit of a need for it. And when we were writing the Constitution for Bush Disciples, that was a decision we had to make. Uh, what were we going to call the position of the person who is doing the job that I'm currently doing? Would it be a position of pastor or minister or senior pastor? Or, or would I be a priest or a preacher or a teacher or a padre? And I struggled with this because I didn't want anything to set me apart from anybody else because we're all ministers of God and many of us have a gift of pastoring. What would I be called? By the way, I was driving a water truck with the council on Friday and over, over the two-way comes, you there, Father? <laughs> yes, my son. <laughs> So, because we have a position description, we had to choose something and we chose the word pastor. But whenever I have to fill out any government paperwork and, and describe my occupation, the appropriate legal term is minister of religion. Now, have you noticed that our politicians still use a very similar title? We have a minister for defence, a minister for agriculture, a minister for health. We have a minister for this and a minister for that. And we have a prime minister. A minister is someone who is carrying out a service of God. It, the, the word stems right from when the priests would minister at the altar of God. I wonder how many of our governing authorities actually understand that they're ministers of God? They are. Whether they know it or whether they don't know it, they are ministers of God. Now, I suspect fewer people would have political ambitions if they knew that they were aspiring to become a minister of God. Um, and I suspect that the decisions that they made would be quite different to the decisions that are currently being made if they knew that they were ministers of God. But just as it is right to pay tithes and offerings to support ministers of God in the church, it is right to pay taxes. It is right to pay other government fees and charges. It is right to give respect. It is right to give honour to those who are in positions of authority over us. It is right for us to honour the police. And yes, it's even right to honour the Department of Transport, as tough as that might be. Only people who drove trucks knew what I was talking about. Now, we mightn't agree with all of the laws that we're bound by, and I don't expect that you will, because I don't agree with them all. But it is still right to give respect and honour to those who are in authority over us. Now, of course, as we touched on before, there are limitations to this, and there will be times when it is right to disobey. But that's not going to be very often. Now, I just want to finish up by coming back to Christ. 
If there was ever anyone who submitted authority but had the means to get out of it, it was Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate authority. And yet he yielded to God's appointed authorities, even to the point of death. He had every ability to just slip out from under that any time he wanted, but he didn't. And through Jesus' death and resurrection by faith, we are brought into God's kingdom. Now, I look forward to the time when Jesus returns and when Jesus will be our king, when Jesus will be our ruler, where every decision that gets made by our ruler will be good and worthy of being obeyed. But until that time, we are also citizens of our nation. And the way we honour God now and the way we honour Christ is by submitting to their authority. In Christ... We are free to submit. Okay, I suspect there'll probably be a fair few questions and a fair few what ifs and buts, um, and some of you may be cranky at some of the stuff I've said. So, questions, and let me have it. Yes, the question is what do we do then if they're introducing laws that don't line up with, with God's word? Um, yes. As a democracy, um, we always have a chance to vote. We always have a chance to lobby our parliamentarians, and it's important that we do. Um, Some Christians think, well, we should never interfere in politics at all. Well, maybe we need to read the prophets. In the prophets, they were always bringing a word from God uh, to hold before the king. And that's important for us to do this, to lobby our politicians on on issues. But if ultimately the decision that gets made is something which is clearly ungodly, we then have have to make decisions about how we relate to that. Now, if it is a law which is forcing us to do something, to to disobey God, well, clearly we have to disobey that that law. Um, If it is just an expression of sin in the world that other people that it goes wrong, um, then, yep, it's just going to happen and we have to respect our authorities regardless. We certainly don't like what they've done and we certainly hold, hold the opinion that, that it was a wrong thing for them to choose, but that doesn't mean that we can really do anything practical about it other than vote against them at the next election. For those who didn't hear, I said earlier that sometimes we deserve it. Now, that doesn't mean us personally, but us as a nation, probably if we get a bad leader, we've gotten what we deserve. And that's certainly what Martin Luther said. Um, And, yeah, there's probably a fair bit of truth in that, particularly in a democracy. I mean, we as a nation get what we vote for. And... um, if we as a nation are ungodly, well, we're going to be vote for voting for people who are beginning to be making ungodly decisions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes it's really hard to be obedient to you and your, what you're showing us in your word. 
just as a wife may find it really hard to submit to an ungodly husband. We may find it really hard to submit to an ungodly government. Lord, give us wisdom and give us strength. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help us to submit to the authorities. But Lord, give us wisdom to know when their decisions are are making us disobey you and help us to stand apart from that and to always obey you. Knowing, of course, that obedience to you at most times will mean submission to the authorities. Help us, Lord. Change our hearts. Lord, where pride prevents us from, from this submission, Lord, take that pride away. In Jesus' name, amen.